This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. At Issue tonight, Governor Tate Reeves names a new director of the State Department of Human Services. This comes weeks after a former director and five others were charged in one of the largest public embezzlement schemes in Mississippi history. The case involves allegations of misspending millions of federal welfare dollars. The new DHS director is Bob Anderson. Anderson. He is a former assistant U.S. attorney and is the current director of the Medicaid Fraud Investigations Division of the Mississippi Attorney General's Office. He previously worked as the head of the AG's Public Integrity Division and as the chief integrity officer for the Mississippi Division of Medicaid. Governor Reeves said at a news conference this week that he believes Anderson is the right person for the job. Bob has put powerful people who abuse their positions in jail. There is no one more capable to root out any remnants of the misdeeds of the past and ensure that corruption never infects this department again. He is uniquely qualified to help the department return to its original calling, truly helping provide resources for Mississippians in poverty to live lives of purpose, dignity, and meaning. Anderson says his own mother received welfare assistance for about a year and a half. He says while growing up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, he and his siblings watched how their parents' divorce made it increasingly difficult for his mother to carry the load alone. For my mom, this was a safety net, not a cocoon. Uh, after some 18 months of public assistance, she had been trained to work in one of the most physically demanding jobs at English shipbuilding as a ship fitter carrying around a 16-pound sledgehammer every day and tack welding inch-thick plates of steel onto the hulls of ships. Within 18 months, she had been able to reach the point where she began buying a home for me and my five brothers and sisters. Her sacrifice made it possible for me later to go to Mississippi College, go to Millsaps College, first of all, and then to go on to night school and work my way through four years of night school at Mississippi College School of Law. And she is both my hero and my source, the source of my strong worth ethic at this point in time. Thirdly, I want to say this. I'm not unmindful of the fact that the allegations are that the former director, executive director who's now under indictment, made the critical mistake of treating the resources of this agency as his to do with what he chose to do. They're not his resources. These resources belong to the people of Mississippi. And it'll be my task, along with those of my new colleagues at the Department of Human Services, to be good stewards of the trust the people of Mississippi have placed in me and in them to handle the finances of DHS with integrity and with transparency so that we can continue to do the most for the least among us. 
The governor has signed an executive order to create the Mississippi Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Planning Steering Committee, led by Dr. Thomas Dobbs, the state health officer. Dobbs is calling this the pandemic scenario of our generation. Several states are announcing their first positive tests, including Tennessee and Georgia here in the South. Dr. Dobbs explains how the Department of Health is taking action to control the virus. When do you quit doing community gatherings? When do you do um, non-pharmaceutical uh, non, uh, interventions such that you know people practice social distancing? You're less likely to spread the virus. Um, working on what do you do in healthcare systems to make sure that you don't spread it because it's spread from person to person. And, and if we can limit people's transmissibility from one person to the other, then we can really slow it down. Early evidence looks like it, each person spreads it to about two, 2.2 people. So it's contagious a little bit more or similar to typical flu virus. But if we can limit people to spreading it from one to another, and if we can get that number down from 2.2 to less than one, it'll burn itself out. There are things and strategies in place that we can activate that will limit transmission and some of it's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be, you know, washing your hands frequently. It's going to be using hand sanitizer. It, and one of the most important things is please stay home when you're sick. You know, if you're if you're ill, you can spread it to your coworkers and then working with businesses and schools and, and government agencies to make sure that if people are sick, they can they can stay home. Or if we have transmission within the community, we look to um, make sure that um, uh, they can work from home. All these sorts of things, there's lots of strategies that transcend vaccines and medications that we can do to slow the virus down. Dobbs says there are no confirmed cases in Mississippi. For more information and updates, visit the Mississippi Department of Health online at healthyms.com. There's also a Mississippi coronavirus hotline. That number is 1-877-978-6453. This week at the Capitol, lawmakers met a deadline to move general bills and constitutional amendments out of committee. In a Senate Judiciary B committee meeting, legislators passed a bill to remove the box that asks if you've ever been convicted of a felony from most state and public employer preliminary job applications. Democratic Senator Tammy Witherspoon authored Senate Bill 2112. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the disclosure of an applicant's criminal history should come later in the hiring process. She says the box has kept many eligible individuals from getting a job. Those applications, you know, probably most of them probably get thrown in the garbage can after they see that box check. So what my bill does, it, it eliminates that box. And if the employee decides, hey, this is a good applicant, they need to make, I need to do a second interview with them. And then if they make that second interview, then that information can be exposed. How do you know they'll expose it then? Uh, well, they don't have to. You know, they, they, it, it can be. You know, it, it, you know, if the employee say, well, you know I'm going to do a background check. Then, of course, you may want that information to come on out. But this bill no way stopped the employees from doing a background check. I do have a loved one that's been incarcerated, and um, he um, had a master's degree and could not find a job, you know, and because of that box, you know, that he was unable to find a job, and he has a master's degree and lots of experience. But because of that box, he was unable. So this is very close to me and very important to me. Has he been able to find employment since? Yes, he has. And as of right now, he completed his doctoral degree. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anything that we didn't ask you that's important about this? Mm, no, just, um, you know, how many people I'm, I'm hoping to help.
you know, I hope this will put a lot of people back in the workforce and uh, a lot of people that's been incarcerated and uh, that has uh, criminal offenses that, that keeps them from getting a job. You know, I hope this can really put, uh, make uh, individuals productive citizens and getting back into the workforce. Senator Witherspoon says 33 other states already have some version of a ban the box law. Also in the Judiciary B committee meeting, lawmakers passed Senate Bill 2658, the Mississippi Dog and Cat Protection Law. It would strengthen the penalties for abusing domesticated cats and dogs. Republican Senator Angela Hill says she wants people who torture animals to have a felony record. Currently, a first offense is a misdemeanor, no matter how many animals are abused. Hill says she has been working to upgrade charges for crimes against animals for years. She also disagrees with the ban the box bill because she says she wants employers to be aware of criminal history firsthand. I'm just very pleased to see this bill finally come through committee, unopposed, I might add, bipartisanly, and we know that under President Trump, the PACT Act has passed through Congress, and that goes much farther than what we just did. This is only for domesticated dogs and cats. The PACT Act was for mammals, amphibians, reptiles. So this is a step in the right direction in Mississippi for domesticated dogs and cats to be protected in a way that they should, and to have these perpetrators who would do some of these torturous acts to them to carry a felony record because you don't want those people working in nursing homes and daycares, um, and you certainly don't want them working in animal rescue. So this will, um, this will help employers as well. Um, and we want to make sure that these employers know that these people are felons that have tortured animals. And that's kind of why I have a little problem with some of these ban the box um, bills that we're passing, because I think they're kind of contrary to what we're trying to do to protect um, and give employers the way to know who to hire and not to hire for some of these jobs. The Senate committee also passed a hate crimes bill unanimously to include those with disabilities and those who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. Rob Hill of the Human Rights Campaign tells MPB's Desiree Frazier that Senate Bill 2424 mirrors federal law and would give prosecutors and law enforcement more tools to charge violent offenders. Recent FBI um, statistics that were released in November of 2019 revealed that there's been an increase in crimes uh, committed against people with disabilities and against the LGBTQ community. And, and we know of several stories around the, the state, even this past year, right after last session, where we have had some crimes that we believe were, uh, were bias motivated. People were injured because of who they are and who they love. And, and so this would give our, like I said, our law enforcement the tools to be able to investigate that when they suspect that it is bias motivated. Don't they investigate crimes anyway? They do investigate crimes, but because Mississippi doesn't have um, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity as a part of our state hate crimes laws now, uh, they're limited in how they can investigate a crime. Very often we're waiting on the FBI, the federal government, to, to step in to prosecute under federal law. This would allow our state uh, law enforcement and our state prosecutors um, to, would give them the tools to be able to prosecute, uh, investigate and prosecute these crimes. There's an increase penalties at all? Yeah, it does increase penalties. Uh, it, that, there's an enhanced penalty right now for all the other classes that are listed or defined as victims. That will add that enhanced penalty uh, for, for a, a crime that's uh, committed against somebody because of a disability or because they're LGBTQ. 
The deaths of at least 24 inmates since late December has focused lawmakers' attention on the need to reform the state's prison system. Prison officials are moving inmates out of Parchman's infamous Unit 29, where a number of deadly riots occurred. Senate Bill 2684 would increase the number of offenders housed in regional jails and the per diem paid by the state. Senator Juan Barnett chairs the Corrections Committee. Well, right now, everyone understands the conditions that we are faced with at Parchment and other places. And that's the reason why the correction, I mean, why the regional jails will be used as an option as we go forward uh, to make sure that we do place those individuals in the best facilities that we can place them in. Because we know that moving everyone from one facility to maybe the state facility, we may, have, we, we may not have the capacity to accommodate those individuals. So we want to make sure that we have the capacity, wherever it may be, uh, to house these individuals until we can um, uh, decide on what we're going to do for them. The Senate Corrections Committee also passed a measure that would allow nonviolent offenders with debilitating conditions to be placed on medical release regardless of time served. They've also amended a bill to allow the search for a new corrections commissioner to include candidates with less formal education. Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins offered the amendment. He says the original statute required applicants have at least a four-year college degree. We want to get the best possible person in place, and in, in looking at that uh, statute, it was uh, restrictive. And so the amendment that I offered and that we passed was that um, as long that the person could have uh, experience both in the public or private sector, um, you know, and, and the statute as it reads already says or so there's a number of things. So we just want to make it uh, open to as many people as possible. And as I said in committee, Governor Reeves. Uh, had said he's opened this up as a national search and which I think is really good and we need to uh, help the governor in that way. The search for a new corrections commissioner is ongoing. Search committee chairman George Flags, a former legislator who now serves as mayor of Vicksburg, says more than 50 applications have been received. He expects to whittle that down to the top five applicants by next week before they begin the interviewing process. So now let's get straight to the point with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. Good to have both of you with us, as always, Thanks. on At Issue. Uh, we want to spend the bulk of our time talking about elections. We are in primary season, after all. Uh, Brandon, now that uh, Democrats have narrowed the field down to two, uh, how are Democrats in Mississippi feeling about the, the primary and the race overall? Yeah, well, Wilson, let's start by reminding our viewers the primary vote in Mississippi is Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Polls will be open 7 a.m., 7 p.m., and not only president, but we'll have uh, Senate on the ballot because Mike Espy faces challengers. This is a drastically different <coughs> world than where we were when we taped last Friday because what we thought, or at least what seemed to be the case, was that Vice President Biden's race was kind of not performing, that Bloomberg was surging, and um, that Bernie Sanders was kind of cruising to what looked like a, a pretty good trajectory. What a difference a week makes. Uh, that win in South Carolina seems to have really propelled Vice President Biden into a much better position. And then, of course, as we saw 
uh, in states across the country on Tuesday. He's performing well, uh, in both in the north, south, and, and, and west. So um, what, how do we feel? How do Democrats feel about that? I think Democrats are um, enthusiastic because uh, what they see in Biden is, is, is an opportunity to win that perhaps some of the other candidates, uh, it wasn't quite as clear. National polling has been very favorable towards Vice President Biden. There's a sense in which with a more centrist candidate, you have the opportunity to draw more people into the conversation, uh, particularly in a state like Mississippi. Um, I think you have more people who are willing to listen to a message from a candidate like Vice President Biden. And so I think there is some enthusiasm around that, but it would be a disservice, Austin, not to say that there are a lot of people that are working really hard for Bernie Sanders, and I think he's gonna be fighting like crazy in the upcoming states. Only a third of the states have been counted so far. So you still have you know, roughly 60% of this thing in front of us. Um, but I think if nothing else, people are somewhat grateful to have some clarity when you have a multitude of candidates, it makes these choices a lot harder. It makes it a lot harder to know what to do with your own vote or how to throw your own support. So I think if nothing else, there's a little bit of you know relaxation going on with now it seems to be down to two choices. And how do Republicans feel? Um, probably not as good as we felt a week ago. <laughs> I mean, look, I, this is no joke. This is not rocket science. Uh, Republicans would much rather run against Bernie Sanders than Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders, we, there's no absolutes in politics anymore. There just didn't. I mean, 2008, we've elected the first ever African-American president. 2016, nobody gave Donald Trump a chance to win the primary. Um, and then, of course, nobody gave him a chance to win the general election. Um, and now 2020, everybody wrote off Joe Biden thinking this guy's toast because it just didn't make any sense. And then now, now here he is. He is the clear front runner. Can I say clear? He's the front runner uh, to be the, the nominee for the Democrat Party. Um, but I, I will just tell you, Republicans would much rather run against Bernie Sanders because it's a much more difficult race for him to beat Donald Trump than it is Joe Biden. So, yeah, Republicans would rather run against Bernie whether that's in Mississippi or in Michigan or Minnesota or wherever. In Mississippi specifically, this uh, recent Mason-Dixon poll uh, said if the election were held today and you had a Trump versus Biden race, uh, Trump would get 56 percent, Biden 41. Trump versus Sanders, this speaks to what you just said, uh, Sanders would get 36 percent to Trump's 59 percent, and that's with some undecided in both of those uh, polls. So that bears out what you're saying, that that, uh, that Biden presents a bigger challenge than, than Sanders. Yeah, look, neither one of them are going to be Nobody's going to beat Donald Trump in Mississippi, okay? It's just what is the margin going to be and how does that impact, um, you, you know, um, how does that impact the race in other states and, and so on and so forth. But if you, if you look at, um, if you look at I, which I thought was, was really interesting as we were looking at some of the, the crosstabs or more details, not necessarily the crosstabs, but more details uh, in that Mason-Dixon poll, was I, I thought obviously you said, I mean, look, uh, Trump is over, up over Biden by 15, and he was up um, by more than that uh, over Sanders. Um, but when you, when, you, when you look at how Bernie Sanders against Joe Biden, particularly with black voters, and if you look in the Mississippi Delta, which obviously has the highest population of, of DMAs, that's a television area per, in, around the state, um, Sanders gets 55% against Donald Trump of African-American voters. Joe Biden gets 68%.
if you just look at specifically black voters, African-American voters, how did Sanders do with them versus Joe Biden against Donald Trump, Sanders got 73% of the black vote versus Donald Trump. Joe Biden got 87%. So obviously, black vote in Mississippi really matters. The black vote in the Democrat Party around the country really matters. Go look at South Carolina, which re, you know, rejuvenated uh, Biden's campaign where he won by 30. That's probably what's going to happen next week is Joe Biden's going to win here by 20 or 30. Yeah, you know, it's worth orienting our viewers to how Democrats typically read polls like this. I mean, this has been a tough sale in the state of Mississippi for a while for national Democrats. Anytime that you see a candidate that starts out over 40 percent, that's not bad. I mean, I know that that's not, it's not how, how everybody uh, tends to read a, a poll. Biden was at 41, Generally, Sanders was at 36. Yeah, so against I mean, Trump. Yeah. that's against right. Trump. So that, that's not too bad. Um, and, you know, you, you said it a minute ago, one of the things that we saw in 2016 was that then Secretary Clinton got her highest margin of victory in Mississippi than anywhere else in the country. Um, and so that led to uh, a big delegate hall. In the primary. From, in the primary. Right. Yeah. A big delegate hall in, in that primary. And so um, I think now it's shaping up, as you said, for, for Biden to do something very similar. Yeah, and I saw where some people were giving Bernie grief for not coming to Mississippi because as soon as Super Tuesday was behind us, the campaign started to think, where are we going to go? Okay, Sanders is going to come to Mississippi, and uh, I don't remember. It's it supposed to be in Jackson uh, today at yeah. the two museums. Yeah, and then and at the two museums, that's right. And then Biden was going to come to um, a, a church here in Jackson. And then, you know, uh, Sanders pulls out and people start to get mad. Don't get mad. He knows he's going to get beat here really badly. He can't waste time. A presidential campaign like this, when you're fighting, which is exactly what they're doing, they're headed towards a contested convention. That's what's going to go on. you got to go to other places where you can go win delegates. And sadly, that's just not going to happen in Mississippi from a big point. I mean, we are proportional. If he gets over 15 percent, he'll get some delegates, but it wasn't worth his time. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that. You know, you and I were talking about this before we came on, Wilson. It, the Democratic primary does this weighted vote with its with its delegate count. And so whereas in the it's Republican not a winner take all. That's right. In the Republican primary, if you win a state, you get all of those delegates. But in that's not the, true. Not in Mississippi. Not in Mississippi, nope. but in a lot of places yep. in the Democratic primary, when you get over 15 percent, then it's a percentage-based delegate count. And so there's actually a case to be made that Bernie could get something out of making sure it's not a runaway here. Yeah. But, you know, he feels like he's got a better shot in Michigan. That's what you see. You know, there was some expectation not too long ago that we might be headed towards a brokered convention, one of these weird animals where you don't have enough votes heading into the convention to clear the path for a nominee. I think that's why you saw candidates like Senator Elizabeth Warren staying in the race that long, in my opinion, the smartest person running for president this year, who disappointingly had to decide, you know, at this point, with Biden only needing to win 54 percent to get the nomination and Sanders only needing to win 57 percent, thought I'd throw that in the mix. It looks like, among the other things that won't happen, we may not be headed towards a broker. Yeah, and I would just say, sort of in summary on this, remember, Trump beat Clinton 58 to 40 in mm -hmm. Mississippi in 2016. Biden's the nominee. He doesn't beat Trump, but I think he does better than Hillary Clinton did in Mississippi. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be really curious, Austin. I don't think uh, any of us have pulled any punches or held back on the fact that Donald Trump has 
performed just amazingly well in Mississippi in terms of popularity. But I think that seeing these record turnouts in states across the country on Tuesday will be, last Tuesday is interesting. It'll be, I'll be very curious to see what turnout is because I think there are a lot of moderate voters in this country who don't identify with either party who are ready for a change. And I think Biden probably is best suited to bring those folks in. So I don't know to what extent that affects a state like Mississippi, but I think it could have a big impact across the country. Those people will decide the race. Yeah, is it that who the Trump campaign is most concerned about? Yep, yep, they wanna go get suburban voters, they wanna get moderates, Yeah, that's exactly, and they they wanna go, and they have been, targeting African-American urban voters as well who live in these large urban areas. Well, look, and if the president wasn't concerned about Biden, he wouldn't have bought himself an impeachment trial over calling foreign nationals about Joe Biden. Let's move on to another uh, race that was tracked by this Mason-Dixon poll, and that is uh, the Senate race that you mentioned between uh, Mike Espy and Cindy Hyde-Smith. That's assuming uh, that Espy wins uh, the Democratic primary, which in all likelihood he will. So if the election were held today and we have this rematch between Democrat Mike Espy and Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, the poll uh, finds that uh, 53% of voters today would support Cindy Hyde-Smith, the incumbent, and 43% uh, would support uh, Mike Espy. That's actually a wider spread than we saw in the special election when when Cindy Hyde-Smith uh, was elected. So the, did this metric surprise you? No, Austin? no, I think that's about where that, I think that's really about where that race is. She won by eight in 2018. She's about an eight to 10 point favorite. Whether you saw this poll or not, you, you would have that feel. Um, SB's biggest problem is he's, he's gonna struggle to raise money this time. In 2018, they raised millions of dollars from, from from in-state and a lot of -of out-of-state money because people thought, hey, he could be the next Doug Jones, who was the Democrat in Alabama that won that special election over there. It did not happen. Their money's gonna be focused on Biden, on trying to protect Nancy Pelosi and her majority in the House. It's gonna make it really hard. I mean, look, Cindy Hatt Smith has not raised a lot of money, but she's still got plenty of time to do that. She's gotta correct that. Um, But that's the biggest problem for SBS money. If Biden is the presidential nominee on the Democratic side, does that does that help SB's chances? It, it lifts all boats across the South. I, I think that helps candidates yeah. across the South, and and, and I certainly can't argue with that either. And certainly, Secretary Espy is one of them. Um, this number does not surprise me. And in, in fact, I think if you were to tell Secretary Espy, "Hey, it's a ten-point race early March," he'd say. All right, that's about what I expect. I, I, I would say this, he's fighting this race differently than last year. I don't know if you remember, but um, it, two years ago. In the last competition between these two, um, it was a much more what I would call sort of stayed, um, kind of what you would expect campaign until the end whenever uh, Senator Hyde-Smith had said a few things that made for fodder. He's starting out much more aggressively this time around. Well, when you lose by eight... Uh, and you got to do something to show your donors and your supporters, this is how I could win this time. You better do some things differently, but it's very difficult. We'll leave it there. Thank you both for joining us on At Issue. We are out of time. Don't forget, you can watch this program online at mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast now available at atissue.mpbonline.org. For day-to-day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, Tuesday, March 10th, Mississippians head to the polls to cast their ballots in the presidential primary and the primary for Senate as well on the Democratic side. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. 
If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.